What is up, college lacrosse fans? You are watching the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast, and this week we are going to talk about how Ohio State put Hopkins in a really bad place, a really bad spot, a tight pickle, so to speak. It's almost like a wound that might not heal, and Hopkins is going to need to win out to really save their season. We'll talk about how Syracuse and UNC, that game was the biggest game of the weekend for uh, ACC standings, even though the Virginia Duke game was far more exciting. And we're going to talk about why I think Syracuse and Penn should swap spots in the latest inside lacrosse uh, media poll. And, and it's a homer pick for sure, but I'm going to put forth logic that will make you say, eh, maybe he's not as much of a homer as I thought. But first, before we get into that, I wanted to talk to you about a new product we're offering up, the Big League Lighting Lacrosse Helmet Lamp. You all have that helmet. It's either buried in an equipment bag or maybe it's sitting on a shelf collecting dust at your house or in your office. That doesn't have to be the fate of your old lax bucket, your pal, your lid. You can now have your favorite lacrosse helmet and stick turned into an LED lamp that will burn for 100 plus years, by the way, and turn that non-functional clutter into a dope accessory. So don't do it yet. Once this video is over and you watch this whole thing and you enjoy listening to me ramble, head on over to laxfactor.com forward slash lamp, and you'll get to take a look at this sweet new product. And as always, we have new t-shirts. We just got the new Lax Factor podcast t-shirt whipped up with the new logo. So you can also head on to head on over to laxfactor.com to check that out. But again, don't do it yet. Watch the video first and then head on over there to see all that stuff. I digress. Let's dive into this. Ohio State and Hopkins. Ohio State gets the 14-13 win. It was a rough game, and this puts Hopkins in a really bad spot. They're now sitting at 6-5 and five with two games left, and they've got to play Penn State and Maryland in back-to-back weekends. That is brutal. And then they've got the Big Ten tournament if they qualify, where they're just going to have to play another one of these brutal teams. So at 6-5, and five, they need to split these games 100% to keep their future in their own hands. And if they can split them and they get a quality win against either the number one or the number two team in the country, that's going to be okay. I think that gets them into the tournament, just like the years where they were eight and seven, two years in a row. And they got into the tournament, both of those years, their schedule is brutal. Uh, And it was the game. It was both of these teams have had a hard time putting up two halves of solid lacrosse. And this was no different. Hopkins jumps out to a big lead. At one point they're up eight, two, I think another point they were up nine, three, and then they just second half, they just fell off the face of the earth and Ohio state started chipping away, chipping away, tie it. Hopkins does get the lead back before Ohio state goes on a run, wins the game. It was brutal. Great save at the end of the game uh, by uh Kersan. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Kersan, the, the goalie for Ohio state, great save with about a minute left. And it turned right into a transition play up, up, up the field uh, to get the game winning goal in transition off a fast break. So hell of a save by Ohio state. It was a two goal swing. Uh, right there. What we're seeing here, though, with Hopkins, they're not falling off as much as as it is the pack is catching up with them, and they haven't changed their schedule. We even saw Syracuse drop a game or two over the last couple of seasons to kind of pick up that one cupcake team in upstate New York that they could beat every year, and I feel like Hopkins is going to end up having to do that. Their schedule the last few years, the last five years, has been a hair tougher than Syracuse's because they're kind of both in the same boat where they both used to be dominant programs. They'd played the toughest schedules in the country, and they would each still get nine or ten wins every year. Hopkins has been hesitant to do that 
And I think in the end, you're going to have to. It hasn't caused problems yet because every year they're making the tournament still and every year they're battle tested and they're just they're just losing to duke in the tournament i I got a graphic up right now that shows you their 2019 through 2015 results and you'll see lost to duke lost to duke lost to duke uh, in the middle of lost to brown in the tournament so they're still making the tournament every season so it's one of these years if something doesn't change you're going to see them not make the tournament because of this brutal schedule and i think that may be when their hand is forced and they finally have to just there's no harm in it lessen that schedule drop one of those really high quality opponents and pick up a cupcake and they're not sitting at six and five right now they're at seven and four leading into these last two games and i know a lot of purists and a lot of other coaches and people are going to say hey to hell with you man you don't know what you're talking about but this is how it goes scheduling can make the difference between you getting into the tournament or not getting into the tournament. And so far, it's worked out for Hopkins and Petro, but one of these years it might catch up with them. But, hey, they can get a win here. They can beat Maryland or they can beat Penn State. They are capable of doing that. They just have to put a good game together here, you know, a good three quarters together here to get to, to eke out a win there. So good luck to Hopkins. It would be a shame to see them lose these two games and not make the tournament. I hope that doesn't happen. Syracuse and UNC. Syracuse travels down to Chapel Hill and they handle their business. I was surprised. I was a little bit scared of this game because I felt UNC's offense, they're pretty fiery. They can shoot well from outside. And I wasn't sure how Drake Porter, even though he's been solid all year, I wasn't sure how he'd hold up in that game. And Caton Johnson, uh, the goalie for UNC, he scared me a little bit too. He's been hot and Syracuse is prone to playing poor against solid goaltenders. And that did not happen either. Uh, Drake Porter, he outplayed Caton Johnson with 12 saves, 57% save percentage. And Johnson, I think, had 11 saves and was about 47%. The Solomon brothers did battle on the day. And Nate Solomon wins the battle over his little brother, Nicky Solomon. Solomon, Nate. He goes for four points, three goals, and a helper. And Nikki goes for two goals and a dish, both of them leading their respective teams in scoring on the day. Syracuse started the season out with a loss to Colgate. That was rough. Then they are at 2-2 two and two after that loss to Virginia. So a lot of people have asked me, what's changed over the course of the last um, – uh, what is it? Eight games, whatever. What's changed over the, over the last handful of games. It's caused Syracuse to be so dangerous and, and to look so solid overall. And I think the big, the big thing is beyond Drake Porter playing above what we all thought he was, he was going, he was capable of just because we didn't know what he was really capable of. I'd say the big change here is Steven Rafis to start the season. Rafis had one assist through the first three games for Syracuse. He had the flu. He had an injury that was bugging him. And then over the course of the last eight games, 14 goals and 10 assists. He's He started out one point over three games. He's averaged three points a game over the last eight games. So that's the big change for Syracuse was he was their leading scorer last year. And, and through the first three games, he had one point. That is not good for a team. And it took them a little while to figure out who they were offensively and, and, and how all these people pieces fit together, losing um, Tucker Dordovic um, to an injury uh, before the season started, and then also here, sitting here with Rafis being sick. So that's the big thing that's changed for Syracuse. Steven Rafis has been playing solid lacrosse, as has the rest of the team, and defensively, they've looked really solid as well. Nick Mellon has been the big key there on defense, and then face-off-wise, um, they, they've played well, too, between Fop and, and uh, Varello. Brett Kennedy on the wing. So overall, Syracuse is dangerous because they have 
five players that are already above 25 points, and they have seven guys that will very likely be above 20 points by the end of the season. They're spreading it out on offense. They're playing really solid defense, and they're winning the battle between the boxes so far. That's why Syracuse is a dangerous team in the coming out of the ACC and why they'll be dangerous in the tournament as well. Navy. They have Navy left this weekend, and then the ACC tournament the following week. That'll be awesome. And I, I don't know how the ACC rankings are going to play out because I don't know what their tiebreakers are. I suspect that no matter what happens, Syracuse ends up playing Notre Dame, uh, wh- whether Notre Dame and UNC beat each other or not. I'm not quite sure. So I think the only thing up in the air is who is the one seed going to play, who's UVA going to play. But I think it looks like Syracuse and Duke are, are locked in here. So it'll, it'll be an interesting ACC tournament to be sure. And I'm looking forward to the Syracuse-Navy rivalry game that goes on this weekend. The Inside Lacrosse poll came out for, I believe it's uh, week 10, week 11, whatever they call it here. I dig the entire poll. They do a great job with this media poll. I'm going to posit, and this is going to be my homer pick of the weekend here. I'm going to posit that they got it all right except two picks. And that that that, that pick I don't like is Penn at number five. Now, before I, I make my argument for why I think a different team should be number five, and you already know what team it's going to be, it's not that I think Syracuse is number five. I just don't think that Penn is. I don't think Penn is the number five team in the country, and I don't think their resume is deserving of the of a number five ranking, despite the fact they've been hot and they haven't lost a game in forever. I think they're on an eight-game winning streak. My issue, Penn's losses, and this is why I think they have them sitting at number five, their losses are to number one, Penn State, number two, Maryland, and number three, Duke. They started the season out against those three teams. They dropped those games and they start 0-3. And now they've rattled off eight straight. The wins that they have uh, of, of those eight wins, only two of those teams are ranked. Number four, Yale, and number 10, Cornell. So eight wins, two wins against ranked opponents, and their only losses are against literally the top three teams in the country. Syracuse losses. And I think this is what hurts Syracuse. Their losses come to number six, UVA, number 12, Notre Dame, and then that bad one to 3-8 and eight Colgate. I think that loss to Colgate is what's hurting Syracuse right now, but their wins, their wins, it's not even the same. Their, their schedules aren't the same thing. Syracuse's is far more difficult than Penn's is, and then their wins are not the same. Syracuse has a win over number 17, Army. They have a win over number 19, Hopkins, a win over number 3, Duke, a win over number 10, Cornell. So Syracuse's wins, I think, are what should cause that bad loss to get forgotten. And that puts them at number five. They're hot. They're six and two over their last eight games with some serious wins in there. Their last bad, their only bad loss of the season was their first game through the rest of the season. They have handled their business. So I believe that Syracuse deserves that number five ranking over Penn. I think Syracuse should have been at number five. Penn should have been at number seven. And I think Virginia just stays at number six where they are. Virginia not looking bad. They've got losses to number eight, Loyola, number 11, High Point, and number three, Duke, with wins over number seven, Syracuse, number 12, Notre Dame, and number 19, Hopkins. But I think that that loss to High Point and then their loss just this past weekend to Duke is enough to keep them at six and not let them move up with Syracuse. So I just, I just, I just don't think that two wins over ranked opponents – uh, are good enough to put you at number five, even if you have rattled together eight straight wins and your only losses are the, to the top three teams in the country. So that's my homer pick. They should have put Cuse at number five. You can tell me to screw off in the comments. And 
Now we come to the part of the show where I'm just going to ramble a little bit. We'll get into the overtime. We'll talk about a few games, scores, and, and various things like that. Uh, one of the big games this weekend that I was kind of excited about, but I, I had a feeling it was going to go down the way it did, was Penn State-Michigan. I was hoping the rivalry and the fact that Michigan, they're sitting at 3-8, and eight, but they do not look like a 3-8 and eight team when you watch them play. Uh, I was hoping we might see some cool crap and they might knock off Penn State didn't happen. 17-7. It was actually Penn State jumping out to a really quick lead. Michigan battling back and getting to within a goal or two, and then Penn State rolling from there. Mac O'Keefe had a huge day, 4-1. and one. Dylan Folds, 3-3. Three and three. Uh, The big one was Grant Amat, 1-6. And six. And the things that I, the thing that I've noticed about Amat and why I have been not critical of him, but why I'm kind of still giving the nod to Pat Spencer for the Twarton consideration over Amat is because Amat's points just look too easy. And and it's been pretty consistent that way. He he he'll end up with six, seven, eight assists in games. But if you watch the games and this one especially, three or four of those assists he didn't have to work for at all. He is literally standing, feet planted, and just sees an open man and feeds him. He these guys. I don't know what it is about Penn State's scheme, but it seems to give people trouble, and they seem to free a lot of guys up for spot shots on backside or for easy shots on the crease. And I'm not talking like right in close on the crease necessarily, but crease area, low, high, whatever. Guys are just getting open with nobody on them, and that was the case in this game uh, as 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 Amat just racked up the points, is that he's just standing there and feeding people at will, and he does he has to do very little to make that happen. So that's the only reason I still give Spencer the nod. If you watch Spencer, almost every point that dude gets, he's earning it, and it's not that Amat isn't earning it. He is seeing that guy open, and he is hitting him wherever he is open, and he's hitting him right in the breadbasket, making it easy to score, but it's just they're, they're not the same thing. You watch... Um, Spencer play it is a uh, he is just breaking the will of other teams and Penn State as a team is breaking the will of other teams but Amet by himself is not doing that it's been a team effort and he's got a lot of off ball players that just play ridiculously uh, play at ridiculously high levels but either way uh, my boy here Alex Buckenavage was held to an assist so that that's the the key there Penn State took him out of the game completely he had no answers no way to get on on point and Kobe Canise played solid in cage 12 saves so Penn State beats Michigan they keep cruising 10 and 1 number one in the country for what four or five weeks in a row now you know there's no stopping Penn State at this point uh, another big game this weekend, and it, this was a, not a surprise, but it was a surprise. Boston University upsetting Loyola. I say it's an upset because Boston University is not as highly ranked or or considered uh, as Loyola is. But Boston University came into this game at, at eight and four, uh, so they were a solid team. As I had said last week, Loyola has to finish the season against two eight win teams in Georgetown and uh, Boston University, or two of their last three games were. They handled Georgetown, Boston University, not so much eighteen eleven in favor of uh, the Terriers. Is that what they are? Boston University is the Terriers, I think. So Boston University improves to 9-4. and four. Loyola drops to 9-3. and three. Loyola will be okay. And once again, we see what happens when you cause Pat Spencer problems. One assist on the day for Pat Spencer. So he had a rough outing. Jacob Stover, eh, you know, 16 saves in the day, but he, you know, still under 50% save percentage. And uh, Joe McSorley, the goalie for Boston U had a really solid game, 14, 14 saves. Our boy, Chris Gray, another Twarton candidate, he goes 4-4 four and four on the day. So in the battle, Gray versus Spencer, Gray wins it hands down, both on the scoreboard and in his own point column. 4-4 four and four is huge. Timmy Lay, 5-1. and one. James Burr, 5-4. and four. Boston University, I saw them play their, I think it was their first or second game of the year against uh, Ohio State. 
And I had remarked then, they very put together very much like Ohio State in the sense that they have snipers all over the field. I, I haven't seen a team shoot from outside so effectively as 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 Boston University and Ohio State both specifically. They 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 snipe from deep. They've got guys that can finish in close, but more importantly, they're nine and four. They're nine and four. They've I don't I don't know who they finish against. It doesn't very much matter. They're nine and four, and they're going to be considered heavily for the tournament. And we'll see what they can do in their own conference tournament as well. But that was a big game. Eighteen eleven. They put the beat down on Loyola, and they shut Pat Spencer the hell up. First team to do that all year. He he had a rough day. Duke Virginia. We talked about it a little bit, and what this proves about Virginia is that. Teams that can play really tough defense, that have really physical defenders, and that can play solid defense at the midfield, they're they're going to give Virginia fit. Syracuse played Virginia tough in that way, and a couple of other teams have have done the same thing against Virginia. Uh, Joe Robertson three and one, Carpenter two and two, Brad Smith two and one, Nakai Montgomery two and one. Duke spread it out all over the place. Virginia not so much. Matt Moore, uh, Mike, uh, Mikey Herring, you know they, they the usual suspects. Virginia between uh, Laviano and Dox Aitken were quiet. That's key in this victory. So Duke played Laviano tough off ball. You silence him. That doesn't keep things. You know then Dox Aitken off ball is a little bit quieter. So. Very interesting game plan that Duke came out and played. Very physical game uh, that Duke came out and played. And they, in the end, they just outplay their ACC rival. Despite this win, though, Virginia is still the top seed going into the ACC tournament. As I said when I talked about Syracuse, I think Duke ends up playing Syracuse in the ACC tournament. So that is going to be a freaking battle for the ages uh, if that is the way that this plays out and it goes down. And it... Whoever gets the fourth seed in the ACC tournament, they can knock Virginia off. There is no guaranteed winner, and there, I, don't, I don't even think there's a favorite in the ACC tournament this year. I think it's any team's tournament. It's it's just a damn shame they don't have an automatic qualifier, uh, an automatic bid for the winner of this because they only have four, uh, five teams in this stupid tournament here. Notre Dame and Cornell, another great game uh, played between two really solid teams. And just like Hopkins needed a win really badly this weekend, Notre Dame very badly needed a win this weekend. They dropped to six and five and they still, they still have a shot, you know, at six and five, they still have to play North Carolina. And then they have the ACC tournament. They need to win this game against North Carolina though, because they might not make the ACC tournament if they lose it. Actually, I think if they lose to North Carolina, they don't make the ACC tournament. So they need to win this game against North Carolina to get into the tournament or they are sunk. Cornell, they look tough. Jeff Teat was quiet, two goals and a helper, but he did just enough. And then uh, Clark Peterson and Cooper Telesco both had big games, each putting up hat tricks. Uh, Player of the game though, for sure, Chase Erlin, he played out of his mind. He stood on his head in cage, 17 saves, uh, 65% save percentage. He wins the goalie battle over uh, the youngster, John Zulo, who played well, 12 saves, 11 goals against. So he didn't play bad either, but Cornell needed a win. They're now eight and four and uh, they'll get to finish their season off happily. And they they should be a lock for the tournament. Notre Dame, not so much. They need to beat UNC this weekend. And the next one we'll talk about another great game. The hundredth meeting between Navy and army. Navy at five and what were they? Five and five coming into this game. Army was eight and three. So Army was the obvious favorite. But as always, you knew this was going to be a, a you know bare knuckled brawl, and it turned out to be exactly that. AJ Barreto, 
he doesn't win the goalie battle because Ryan Kern for Navy, he puts up 18 saves versus uh, nine goals against. He had a hell of a game. But Barreto played solid as a veteran in the fourth quarter. That helped Army a great deal. It helped them hold on, get a lead, and they didn't relinquish it. Game-winning goal by Matt Manown in uh, in overtime uh, to give Army the one-goal win. It, it was just a hell of a game. It was exactly how an Army-Navy game should be. We put the highlights up, and it was funny seeing a couple of the comments in the highlights where it was like, you know, Army, former former military members just popping off saying how Navy sucks and things of that sort. I just, great rivalry. I personally think that in all sports, the Army-Navy rivalry is the best rivalry in sports simply because no matter what either team is doing in that moment, no matter what their records are when they play each other, it is always going to be, like, I picture... Old school bare knuckle, not even bare knuckle brawl. I picture kick. What was the movie called? Kickboxer. Uh, the movie was Jean Claude Van Damme, where he ta- where they tape up their hands and then they put glass on them, uh, glue glass onto their onto the tape. I picture it being like that. Every time they play each other, it's always entertaining. They're always trying to quite legitimately kill each other on the field, and uh, it just no greater no greater rivalry in sports, in my humble opinion. Definitely not in lacrosse. Rutgers and Maryland. And I only bring this one up because Maryland just keeps handling their business. Maryland is capable of getting a lead and holding on to it. Uh, Maryland is capable of playing from behind uh, and, and coming back and winning games. Maryland is a complete team. A lot of people think they're overrated because they've quietly gotten themselves to 10 and 2, and they're quietly the number two team in the country. But the reality is they are deep. They have a bunch of guys that can put the ball in the back of the net when needed. They can play solid defense. Danny Dolan has played excellent at times, and he's been mediocre at times, but more importantly, he's getting wins. I mean, he's got 10 wins in cage as a starting goalkeeper. Uh, DeMeo, 3-3, three and three, so he had a big day, and he's been playing tougher. He he wasn't even on my radar outside of just being a solid role player for Maryland this year uh, coming into the season, and he has been uh, just tough for teams to contain as they try to you know cover Jared Bernhardt, Bubba Fairman, and, and uh, Logan Wazowskis. Uh, Dubik looked good, so we end up with Bernhardt, 3-1, and one. Uh, uh, Fairman three and zero, Dubik three and zero, was Wisnowskis two and one. I mean two and three. So they they fill it up. Uh, Charlotte Beatties look good for Rutgers. Four goals. Uh, Owen Mead two and two. Uh, let's see what Gallagher did. Two and one. Mullins was quiet. One and two. Edelman did not win the goalie battle. I, neither goalie did. Both goalies were under fifty percent from a save percentage standpoint. But Rutgers they needed that win to really keep their playoff hopes alive and and to try to give them a, a really solid resume for getting into the tournament, assuming they can finish above 500 by the year's end. Uh, it didn't work. They're six and six, but Maryland improves to 10 and two. And despite a lot of people thinking Maryland is overrated, I am not one of those people. I think Maryland is legit. And I just know that if, you know, me being the Q's homer that I am, I will dread Syracuse drawing Maryland in the tournament. If that's, that ends up being their fate come quarterfinal round, nobody wants to play Maryland, including this guy. And we'll finish this whole thing off. I wanted to rip through Georgetown Villanova. I, Georgetown has interested me because in past years, they play cupcake schedules, and then once shit hits the fan, they t- typically fall apart. This season has not been the case. They're, they've, they're, they just get their ninth win over a very solid Villanova team. But once again, playoff implications for this for this game. Both teams get this win, and that improves their resume because both teams are solid and both teams represent a quality win on your schedule. Caraway five and two, Bacaro four and two, Wittenberg three and three. Georgetown's dangerous. It's just the field is deep this year. Uh, Villanova's solid, and uh, uh, Vitone, Vitton, Vitton, whatever the hell his name is, their goalie. 
solid game, 15 saves, but uh, Owen McElroy for Georgetown, he wins the goalie battle in this one. He goes for 15 saves versus 13 goals against. So that was excellent for him, but Georgetown improves to nine and four, and uh, that, that just carries them, c- continues to carry them. Who do they have to finish up against here? They finish up against New Jersey IT. And St. John's. So there's a very good chance that Georgetown could finish the season off uh, with 11 wins. And that probably gets the, I mean, I would assume that has to get them into the tournament. Although once again, it's a stacked field this year. So it's a tough call, but excellent job by Georgetown. Now, what I'm going to say to close this video out, we have new t-shirts with our new logo on them for the Lax Factor podcast. Go to our website, laxfactor.com and get a t-shirt. I think these are $25. Uh, because you know they're dope and you're really buying this to support us not just because it's a dope t-shirt and as i said before if you look right over here uh the big league lacrosse helmet lamps be sure to go to our website www.laxfactor.com forward slash lamp and take a look at the cool pictures it's a great keepsake get your old helmet out of the bag in the garage or the basement get it off your shelf where it's collecting dust and have it turned into a keepsake that you can keep forever. High quality product made in the USA. The LED light that's used is 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 supposed to burn for a hundred plus years. So laxfactor.com forward slash lamp and get yours today. And that is it. I am out of here. Never done that before. I just wanted to see what it felt like. Didn't feel good. Makes me feel like a douchebag. Enjoy. Enjoy.